The following audio is intended for educational purposes only. I do not own the rights to any of the literary content from which I have sourced. All rights are reserved to the respective authors and publishers. Hey, you made it. You could be doing anything else in the world right now. But instead you decided to take a moment out of your busy life to listen to me talk about mental health. And for that I want to say thank you. Today is the first episode of the It's Honest Work podcast and it is titled Self-Limiting Beliefs. If you are new to the concept of this podcast, once a week I will be delving into the work that I am putting into my own mental health and giving you an honest account of my progress. Listen as I share insights and wisdom from a variety of sources that aid me along in my journey towards true happiness and self-fulfillment. I have so many self-limiting beliefs that at times completely immobilize me in my personal life. Immobilization, by definition, is a state, however mild or serious, in which you are not functioning at the level at which you would like to. Mild being you're unable to clean your car out at the end of a long work day. And more serious being that you can hardly get out of bed or call your loved ones. In my life, I experienced both sides of the spectrum and have felt at quite a loss over it for a long time. You see, it's not fun being immobile. It brings about all kinds of negative emotions, sadness, frustration, anger, guilt, and even shame. What I've come to realize lately is that there are three main categories that are holding me back personally. And I feel as though they are the root cause of my self-limiting beliefs. Category number one is my I'ms list, which I will further explain. Category two is guilt. And three is worry. I will go over each category one at a time. And at the end of each category, give you a couple examples of the areas that I am struggling with within that subject line. Feel free to take notes and jot down some of the things that you are working through throughout this podcast if you find that to be beneficial. I came across a book recently called Your Erroneous Zones by Wayne Dyer. Erroneous meaning wrong or incorrect. In it, he sums up these three categories in a way that really shed light on the problem these zones in ourselves cause and how we can overcome them. What I would like to do in today's podcast is go over them and read a few sections from his book to give you a better understanding of where I'm coming from. Category number one, the I'ms list. Who are you? How do you describe yourself? To answer these two questions, you will very likely have to refer to your own history, to a past that has been lived through, but to which you are undoubtedly tied, 
and from which you find it difficult to escape. What are your self-descriptors? Are they neat little labels that you have accumulated over a lifetime? Do you have a drawer full of self-definitions which you use on a regular basis? They may include tags such as, I'm nervous, I'm shy, I'm lazy, I'm not musical, I'm clumsy, I'm forgetful, and a whole catalog of additional I'ms that you use. These are self-descriptors. Self-descriptors are not in and of themselves inappropriate, but they can be used in harmful ways. The very act of labeling might be a specific deterrent to growth. It's easy to use the label as justification for remaining the same. Soren Kierkegaard wrote, Once you label me, you negate me. When the individual must live up to the label, the self ceases to exist. The same is true of self-labels. You could be negating yourself by identifying with your trademarks rather than your own potential for growth. All self-labels come out of an individual's history. Check yourself on the extent to which you are chained to your past. All self-defeating imes are the result of the uses of these four neurotic sentences. Number one, that's me. Number two, I've always been that way. Number three, I can't help it. And number four, that's my nature. There they are in one little package. The connectors that keep you from growing and changing and making your life from this instant on, which is all the life you have, new, exciting, and heaped with present moment fulfillment. So some of the I'ms that I have listed here that I hold to be true are, I am a shy and timid person. Now, I've felt that way ever since I was a kid. I don't know if that's something that was just deeply ingrained in me at an early age, or if it's just part of my makeup, my DNA, my personality. I'm not exactly sure, but that is definitely a belief that I hold about myself. Uh, the second one here is, I am an angry and emotional person at times. Now, I believe we are all emotional and can get angry at times, but to hold that belief about ourselves, uh, I don't think is necessarily a good thing. To believe that, you know, when, when we react to whatever is going on in our life, we're going to potentially be angry or emotional. So that's something that I'm working through. Uh, another one here is, I'm not good at making money. Now, this is a belief I hold. Uh, I do have a full-time job, and I do fine for the most part, but I would like to have multiple streams of income doing things I'm passionate about. But to have this belief that I'm not good at it, good at um, you know the skills it takes or the know-how, it just holds me back, and it's... Probably not a good belief that I have about myself. Uh, and lastly here, I just have written down that I am, I believe that I am a bad homeowner. Now, I'm grateful to have the home that I have, but there are certain things that I just feel kind of lacking as far as being able to do things around the house. And I have a bunch of excuses as to why I, I can't do them, but ultimately it 
ultimately it just comes down to the belief, that simple belief, I am a bad homeowner. I just have that in my head. You know, I'd like to be able to frame my unfinished basement and landscape the yard. And I just have this in my head that I'm a bad homeowner. And uh, that's something I'm also working through. So moving on here. Your IMS, which describes self-canceling behavior, can be traced to something that you've learned in the past. And every time you use one of these four sentences, you are really saying, and I intend to continue being the way I've always been. You can begin to unknot the ropes that link you to your past and eliminate the fruitless sentences which are spoken to keep you just as you've always been. The rewards for hanging on to your past by trotting out your IMS can be neatly summed up in one word avoidance. Whenever you want to dodge a certain kind of activity or to gloss over a personality defect, you can always justify yourself with an I'm. In fact, after you use these labels enough, you begin to believe them yourself. And at that present moment, you are a finished product, destined to remain as you are for the rest of your days. Labels enable you to avoid the hard work and the risk of trying to change. They perpetuate the behavior which has been given rise to them. Thus, if a young man goes to a party with the belief that he is shy, he will behave as if he is shy, and his behavior will further support his self-image. It is a vicious circle. You can look at your own circle of neurotic logic and begin to challenge any aspect of your life in which you've chosen to be a finished product. The number one payoff for hanging on to your past and resting on your imes is avoidance of change. Every time you use an im to explain a behavior that you don't like, Think of yourself like a decorated box, all wrapped up as a finished package. Certainly, it's easier to describe yourself than to change. Perhaps you ascribe the reasons for your labels to your parents or to other significant adults in your childhood, such as your teachers, neighbors, grandparents, and the like. By giving them responsibility for your present-day I'm, you've given them a measure of control over your life today, elevated them to a higher position, than you and indigenously created an alibi for staying in your ineffective condition. A neat little payoff indeed, and one that provides you with a warranty against any risk-taking. If it's the culture's fault that you have this I'm, you can't do anything about it. Some strategies for freeing yourself from the past and eliminating your I'ms. Leaving the past behind involves taking risks. You have become accustomed to your self-definitions. In many cases, they function as a support system in your daily life. Some specific strategies for eliminating those IMs include eliminating the I'm wherever you can. Substitute with such sentences as, until today, I've chosen to be that way, or I used to label myself that way. Plugging these into any of your IMs is a good way to transition out of that strict mindset that you were fixed in your way of being. So for me, a couple examples. Until today, I've chose to be a shy and timid person who was angry and emotional at times. Or, I used to label myself a bad homeowner or someone who was bad at making money, and so on. Set behavioral goals to act differently than you've ever done before. For example, if you consider yourself shy, introduce yourself to one person who you might otherwise have avoided. 
Keep a journal on your self-destructive I'm behavior and record your action as well as how you were feeling about yourself while you were behaving that way. For one week, record in a notebook the exact time, date, and occasion when you used any of the self-destructive I'ms and work at diminishing the entries. Watch out for the four neurotic sentences and whenever you fall into using them, correct yourself out loud in the following way. Change that's me to that was me. I can't help it to I can change that if I work on it. I've always been that way to I'm going to be different. That's my nature to that's what I used to believe was my nature. Some final thoughts. There is no such thing as human nature. The phrase itself is designed to pigeonhole people and to create excuses. You are the sum product of your choices and every I'm you treasure could be relabeled I've chosen to be. Go back to the opening questions. Who are you? And how do you describe yourself? Think about some new labels that are in no way connected to the choices that others have made for you or those that you've made until now. Those old tiresome labels may be keeping you from living your life as fully as you might otherwise. The next two categories are guilt and worry. Throughout life, the two most futile emotions are guilt for what has been done and worry about what might be done. There they are, the great wastes, worry and guilt. As you examine these two erroneous zones, you will begin to see how connected they are. In fact, they can be viewed as opposite ends of the same zone. Guilt means that you use up your present moments being immobilized as a result of past behavior, while worry is the means to keep you immobilized in the now about something in the future, frequently something over which you have no control. You can see this clearly if you try to think of yourself as feeling guilty about an event that has yet to occur, or to worry about something that has happened. Although, one response is to the future and the other to the past, they both serve the identical purpose of keeping you upset or immobile in your present moment. Guilt and worry are perhaps the most common forms of distress in our culture. With guilt, you focus on a past event, feel dejected or angry about something that you did or said, and use up your present moments being occupied with feelings over the past behavior. With worry, you use up those valuable nows. Obsessing about a future event, whether you're looking backward or forward, the result is the same. You're throwing away the present moment. Guilt is not merely a concern with the past. It is a present moment immobilization about a past event. And the degree of immobilization can run from mild upset to severe depression. If you are simply learning from your past and vowing to avoid the repetition of some specific behavior, that is not guilt. You experience guilt only when you are prevented from taking action now as a result of having behaved a certain way previously. Learning from your mistakes is healthy and a necessary part of growth. Guilt is unhealthy because you are ineffectively using up your energy in the present feeling hurt, upset, and depressed about a historical happening, and it is futile as well as unhealthy. 
no amount of guilt can ever undo anything. So as I begin to reflect and kind of take stock of my life and the guilt that I feel, which again is a past tense state of mind while I'm trying to live in the present, is not keeping in touch with my family and close friends from my past at times. My past failed relationships. Spending money. Having a short fuse with my children at times. And not putting myself out there and just keeping to myself. Now, I've just come to accept that this is all the guilt that I own. And I wear it in a big heavy bag on my shoulder almost daily. And what I've come to realize is it's really holding me back. Incongruence with my eyes and all the worry that I feel of just living in the present and doing the things that I want to do in my life and trying to accomplish things that I would like to as well. The psychological payoffs for choosing guilt. Here are the most basic reasons for choosing to waste your present feeling guilty about things that you've done or failed to do in the past. By absorbing your present moments feeling guilty about something that has already taken place, you don't have to use that now moment in any kind of effective, self-enhancing way. Very simply, like so many self-defeating behaviors, guilt is an avoidance technique for working on yourself in the present. Thus, you shift responsibility for what you are or are not now to what you were or were not in the past. By shifting responsibility backward, you not only avoid the hard work of changing yourself now, but the attendant risks that go with change as well. It is easier to immobilize yourself with guilt about the past than to take the hazardous path of growing in the present. Guilt can be a means of returning to a safety of childhood, a secure period when others made decisions for you and took care of you rather than taking care of yourself and hand in the present. You rely on the values of others from your past. And once again, the payoff is in being protected from having to take charge of your own life. Guilt is a superb way to win pity from others, even though it is a clear indication of low self-esteem. In this case, you'd rather have others feel sorry for you than like and respect yourself. There you have the most notorious of the dividends for hanging on to guilt. Guilt, like all self-nullifying emotions, is a choice something that you exercise control over. If you don't like it and would prefer to make it go away so that you are entirely guilt-free, here are some beginning strategies for wiping your guilt slate clean. Some strategies for eliminating guilt. Begin to view the past as something that can never be changed, despite how you feel about it. It's over. And any guilt that you choose will not make the past different. Embellish this sentence on your consciousness. My feeling guilty will not change the past, nor will it make me a better person. This sort of thinking will help you to differentiate guilt from learning as a result of your past. Ask yourself what you are avoiding in the present with guilt about the past. By going to work on the particular thing you will eliminate the need for guilt. Make a list of all the bad things you've ever done. 
Give yourself guilt points for each of them on a scale of 1 to 10. Add up your score and see if it makes any difference in the present, whether it's 100 or 1 million. The present moment is still the same, and all of your guilt is merely wasteful activity. A closer look at worry. You can spend the rest of your life, beginning right now, worrying about the future, and no amount of your worry will change a thing. Remember that worry is defined as being immobilized in the present as a result of things that are going or not going to happen in the future. You must be careful not to confuse worrying with planning for the future. If you are planning in the present moment, this is not worry. It is worry only when you are in any way immobilized now about a future happening. Just as our society fosters guilt, so it encourages worry. Worry is an endemic to our culture. Almost everyone spends an inordinate amount of present moments worrying about the future. And all of it is for naught. Not one moment of worry will make things any better. In fact, worry will very likely help you be less effective in dealing with the present. Much of your worry concerns things over which you have no control. You can worry all you want about war or the economy or possible illness, but worry won't bring peace or prosperity or health. As an individual, you have little control over any of those things. Moreover, the catastrophe that you are worrying about frequently turns out to be less horrible in reality than it was in your imagination. Some of my worries, which are again a future state of mind, include things will turn out worst case scenario, my children's well-being, if I put effort into something and it doesn't go exactly how I want to, then I'm wasting my time, I worry that I will fail and I also worry about being rejected when I do put myself out there. Now, all of these things hold me back from living in that present moment. The psychological payoffs for choosing worry. Worry is a present moment activity. Thus, by using your current life being immobilized over a future time in your life, you are able to escape the now and whatever it is in the now that threatens you. You can avoid having to take risks by using your worry as the reason for immobility. How could you possibly act if you are preoccupied with your present moment worry? I can't do a thing. I'm just too worried about such and such. This is a common lament, and one with a payoff that keeps you standing still and avoiding taking the risk of action. You can label yourself as a caring person by worrying. Worry proves that you are a good parent, good spouse, or good whatever. A handsome dividend, although lacking in logical, healthy thinking. Your worry keeps you from living. A worrier sits around and thinks about things, while a doer must be up and about. Worry is a clever device to keep you inactive, and clearly it is easier, if less rewarding, to worry than to be an active, involved person. Some Strategies for Eliminating Worry Begin to view your present moments as times to live, rather than to obsess about the future. When you catch yourself worrying, ask yourself, what am I avoiding now by using up this present moment with worry? Then begin to attack whatever it is that you are avoiding. The best antidote to worry is action. Recognize the absurdity of worry. Ask yourself over and over, 
Is there anything that will ever change as a result of my worrying about it? Ask yourself this worry-eradicating question. What is the worst thing that could happen to me or them, and what is the likelihood of it occurring? You'll discover the absurdity of worry in this way. Make a worry list of everything you worried about yesterday, last week, and even last year. See if any of your worry did anything productive for you. Assess also how many of the things you worried about ever materialized at all. You'll soon see that the worry is really a doubly wasteful activity. It does nothing to alter the future, and the projected catastrophe often turns out to be minor, or even a blessing when it arrives. A quick final thought on worry and guilt. The present moment is the key to understanding your guilt and worry activities. Learn to live now and not waste your current moments in immobilizing thoughts about the past or future. There is no other moment to live but now, and all of your futile guilt and worry are done in the elusive now. In closing, after spending about a week pinpointing these erroneous zones in myself, I was pretty blown away by the amount of baggage and heavy mental loads I've been enduring for about as long as I can remember. By shifting my mind away from all of my self-defeating aims, the guilt I felt from my past, and the worry I feel for the future, I now realize more than ever how much my present moments are being affected, and thus my mental health and my life. My hope is that this podcast can bring some comfort and provide tools to those in need. Working on our mental health one day at a time may not seem like much, but it's honest work.